0: Welcome to another message from Columbus First Assembly. Thanks for listening as we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God. Our hope is that you're encouraged by today's message.
1: There have been times, and there will be times, when dedicated, loving, faithful followers of Jesus experience things which we don't understand. We love, we pray, we believe, we obey, we live fully for Jesus and then tragedy or difficulty strikes and we don't know why. We know that God can, we believe that God could We prayed that God would, but he didn't, and it just doesn't make sense. It's the title I've chosen for the message this morning, When God Doesn't Make Sense. If you're new to the faith, maybe you haven't run up against this yet, you will. And so this message will at some point apply to your life. But if you've walked with the Lord for any length of time, especially if the amount of time has been decades, you can probably go back into your life and find those instances when that just doesn't make sense, Lord. Think about how often you've asked this question coming up on the screen. Why, God? Why, God? Why? Many of us think that statement. Sometimes we'll speak it out loud. I'll be personally honest, and I think some of you can relate to this. Sometimes when we say, why God, when events don't go our way, we feel a little less of a Christian, a little less of a believer, like somehow we don't measure up. And just as I begin to share these things that are on my heart today, I want to say this, uh, it's okay to express these kind of feelings to God. It's okay. It's okay to ask why God. It's okay that sometimes God doesn't make sense and we are confused. God knows that there will be times that His ways don't make sense to us and it will cause us to question, and God is okay with us wondering here in. Person, you online, this is going to be a key scripture for me coming up on the screen right now. It's from Psalm 119, verse 68. This is declaring of God, you are good and do only good. You are good and do only good. This is the character and the nature of God. He is good and everything that he does is good. Even those things that don't make sense. I have listened as people have honestly shared their hearts during loss. One family lost a 40-something son to cancer, a vibrant son, actively engaged in loving people, serving, raising his family. He was involved in his local church. And now he's gone, taken by cancer, way too young and this family or a member of this family almost apologetically said why him why not and they mentioned a name why not such and such they don't do anything but watch TV all day they are a taker and not a giver they live off the goodness of others and they never give back. But this wonderful son of ours is gone. That doesn't make sense. Why didn't God heal him? And then there's this verse. You are good and do only good. Somehow or other in the midst of that Tragedy somehow or other in the midst of losing someone vital. The word of God reminds us that God is good. And does only good. He doesn't do mostly good. He doesn't do good 90% of the time. He does only good. Even in the midst of those things that we don't understand. There's a... uh, portion of the Christmas story that when we do our Christmas Eve service or Christmas Day service, I read up to a certain point and then I skip the rest. Because this part of the Christmas story seems to put a cloud over the joy of the birth of our Savior. But today, I'm going to read it as an example from the Bible of one of those mysteries of God, one of those times when God doesn't make sense. So if you can follow along on the screen or take a Bible, this isn't our key text this morning, but I'm going to start here. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Jesus has been born. The Magi have come from the east. They presented their gifts at his feet. They have worshiped him. And then... In verse number 13, it says, after the wise men were gone. Now, before the wise men got to Bethlehem, they arrived in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was where they expected to find the newborn king of the Jews. This discredits the fact that they followed the star from the east. No, they saw the star in the east, and they chose to go because they knew what the star meant. They didn't follow the star until from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So they showed up in Jerusalem expecting to find the newborn king of the Jews. And so they went to who was the ruler at that time, Herod. And Herod was very surprised to hear that there's a newborn king because Herod's the king. He is the Roman king that has been placed in this area. Herod's the king. And now they're saying there's another king, a newborn king. So Herod had them figure out where the king was to be born. The wise men, however, left Jerusalem, saw the star again, and then followed the star right to the very house where Jesus was. But we pick up in verse 13 once again. After the wise men were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I have called my son out of Egypt. And on Christmas Eve, and probably again on Christmas Eve this year, if I read the entire story, I'm going to stop right there. But the story doesn't stop there. The story goes on, to something that makes no sense to me at all. Picking it up now in verse number 16, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A cry heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. I'm not criticizing God, but I'm trying to put some skin on these stories, some emotion. Can you imagine? Herod, this king, takes and he gets his soldiers. He knew that the Messiah was born in Bethlehem. And so he goes house to house, possibly breaking open the doors that the family wouldn't let him in. And if they found a male child, around two years or under, they ran that child through with a sword. Killed it right on the spot probably left the body on the dirt for the mother to pick up in her arms. Fear must have swept through the village. People probably tried to hide children, but it wasn't just in Bethlehem. It said in the surrounding areas, there was a whole town. There was a whole surrounding area. I don't know how far Herod had his soldiers go out. There was a whole surrounding area that in one day, within probably just a few hours, every single male child two years old and under, was dead. Why? Why? Because the Messiah had been born in Bethlehem. That's the only reason. And Herod was unwilling to have another king rise up. Now, here's the thing that doesn't make sense. God warned Joseph. God protected his son. God said, Joseph, get up and take the child and his mother and flee. Flee to Egypt and stay there till I tell you to return. But he left all the rest of the boys fully exposed to this king. And then God went and said this. Oh, and by the way, uh, Jeremiah saw this prophetically. And you can read it in your Old Testament text. A cry was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. How do you take that story and apply Psalm 68 to it? You are good and do only good. Because God does only good, even When an entire village of baby boys is murdered by a wicked king. Now, did God kill those children? Absolutely not. But you and I think it through. Why didn't God stop it? Why didn't God have the king killed? Herod the Great. But he didn't. And this doesn't make sense. You are good and do only good. Yet a whole village of children are wiped out. Think about it. About 30-some years later, about, we'll say 35 years later, after this event, Matthew is compiling his document that we now have as the, the Gospel of Matthew, which I just read from. Some of those mothers are probably still alive. Some of the siblings are probably still alive. Some of the fathers are probably still alive, and they've heard about the Messiah coming, and they begin to read Matthew's account, and there's their story where their child Zechariah, where their child, Josiah, whatever their names were, were killed. They could still probably go to the grave. It was because the Messiah was born here? It doesn't make sense, but the scripture is still true. You are good, and do only good. Maybe you lost a job, but some jerk kept theirs. You had a miscarriage. But someone else in your family who really doesn't want another child gives birth to a healthy baby. You exercise and eat right. You love God. You pray. You give and serve. Yet you have high cholesterol and COPD. And the atheist at work who smokes and is overweight gets their physical and they're in perfect health. God, this doesn't make sense. Our key text today is the book of Acts. Now take your Bibles. These, because of the length of this passage, it's not going to be on the screen. I'm going to invite you to follow along with me as I read and talk, talk about this text. And then towards the close of the message, I have some points that I'm going to make that will try to bring some explanation and closure. Now I'm not going to try to explain God because there are times he doesn't make sense. Why do I, why do I stop the Christmas story? At that verse, because I don't want to have to explain to the children that are here how come all these babies got killed. I don't want to have to explain to you. So I stop it after the dream and after the warning, and they go to Egypt, and it says, and he came out of Egypt. I don't do the rest. But it's still there. And it's still true. And it still doesn't make sense. Acts chapter 12, we're going to. Read an incident that happened to Peter and the new church, starting in verse number one. About that time, King Herod Agrippa, I'll stop right there. This is the grandson of King Herod the Great, who we read about in Matthew chapter two. King Herod the Great was over Judea. He was the one that tried to have the Messiah killed, killed all the babies in Bethlehem. There was one other Herod in between here, and then here's King Herod Agrippa. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, and he had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Now, if you've read the New Testament, especially if you've read the Gospels, you'll realize that the name Peter, James, and John appears more often than any of the other of the twelve. Peter, James, and John are considered Jesus' inner circle. He had the crowds that followed him. Then he had the twelve that he called, which he called his apostles. And then of the twelve, there were the three, Peter, James, and John. And then there was, of course, John, who was the, uh, uh, the one who wrote the gospel of John, who it says that he's the one... That the master loved. So this story talks about the inner three. It's about 11 years since the resurrection of Jesus. It's about 11 years since the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and the church got started. 5,000 people got saved in one uh, uh, one preaching assignment. Peter is preaching, and 5,000 people get saved. The church has been growing, and the hub of the church, the the place where the leaders stay, is in Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John, because of their inner circle relationship with Jesus, are three of the leaders of the church of Jerusalem, really the only church at that time, although by this time, 11 years later, Gentiles have begun to come into the kingdom. But of the Jewish believers, these three. And this story talks about these three. First of all, it talks about James. Peter, James, and John. James. King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church, And he had the apostle James, John's brother, so this is the Peter, James, and John. They were brother, James and John, killed with a sword. Most people feel that the killing with the sword was a decapitation. It was a beheading. He had him arrested, and he killed them. And this really made the Jews happy. And Herod was always trying to get the Jews on his side. He wasn't Jewish. He was placed there by by Rome, although he had converted to Judaism. He wanted to keep them happy. So when he found out that killing James was helpful to his brand, helpful to his public image, he had Peter arrested. And now we'll finish the rest of the story. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter, and this took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. They were on six-hour shifts. Of the four soldiers, two of them were chained to Peter. So Peter always had two people that were chained to him any place he went. He probably didn't go very far. He was kept in a cell. And then two others were placed outside of the doors of the prison cells where Peter was. And every six hours or so, this whole... uh, uh, the group of four changed, so the other two who are chained to Peter now get chained to Peter. Two more go to the door, and those four go off duty. So there 24 hours a day for a period of several days, Peter is chained to these, uh, to these two soldiers. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each, and Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, this is basically the night before he's going to be executed like James was executed. He was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up, and the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, get up and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision, he didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and the second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading into the city and this opened for them by itself. So they passed through And started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses, and it's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do with me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door at the gate. There is a fly. I think I understand how our vice president felt during the debate. And on the close-up, it's probably going to look really bad and be very distracting. So, um, just to let you know, there is a fly. You tell you the truth, the prison was so bad. Peter probably had a lot of flies around him when he came out. But <laughs> um, I gotta see. I even lost my page because of that fly. Verse 12 again. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came and opened it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. And what I would have expected happened, they'd been praying earnestly for Peter. They would all just got up and rush to the door. And what did they say? You're out of your mind. When she insisted, they decided, it must be his angel See, what they thought was he's dead, and so his spirit has come just to let them know or to say goodbye or whatever. But meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. And when they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. And he motioned for them to quiet down. They probably started to yell, but Peter didn't want a whole lot of attention, so he motioned for them to be quiet. And he told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Now tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. Now this is a different James. This is James, the Lord's half-brother. This is someone who grew up with Jesus in the same household. It is the James who wrote... The Book of James. So there's another James here at the church in Jerusalem. It was because this James didn't follow Jesus while, until after the resurrection. Peter, James, and John, those three followed him for his three years of ministry. That first James was killed. This James came to know Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior after the resurrection. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. And at dawn, there was a great commotion amongst the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. I'm assuming the soldiers probably were sleeping also. They wake up, and Peter's gone. The chains are there. Did you see him? Did you see him? Nobody saw him. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him, and when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. I don't know if all of the, just the four that were there when he escaped, or all of them were executed, but there was an execution. Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death, and afterwards Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Now, let's talk about this text. How many of you will agree with this statement? Jesus loved Peter more than James. James must have had sin in his life and Peter didn't. I knew you wouldn't agree with it or maybe you've thought that I've wondered why. See, God didn't make sense. Why did James get arrested and beheaded? Peter gets arrested and delivered. You say, it was the great faith of the church. What great faith? When Peter showed up, <laughs> they said the person that saw him was out of their mind. It doesn't make sense. Think of James's family. James probably still had family. Think of John, his brother, who's still alive. Why did my brother get killed, Peter, but you're still alive? Think of the church. What's going on here? And how did the church respond? They continued right on. They continued declaring about Jesus. They continued winning people to the Lord. They continued on. So when God doesn't make sense, what should we know and what should we do? This is when you should get out your note sheet. Hopefully you picked one up. Here's the first statement. When God doesn't make sense, remember, he is God and I am not. When God doesn't make sense, remember, he is God and I am not. And of course, we talked about verse, or, uh, verse 68 of Psalm 119, you are good and do only good. When God doesn't make sense, and I'm just going to walk you through some of what I go through as a pastor. When God doesn't make sense, I have to remember he is God and I am not. I haven't created a star recently. I haven't created a circulatory system in the human body recently. I haven't even created a cell of the human body recently. Although recently when I was playing with Lucy down in Atlanta, we got her Legos out and I created something that looked like a tower. Is God and I am not. And He is good and does only good. So I'm going to give you six statements. There are five notes in your note sheet. You're going to have to write the sixth one in fully. Grab your notes. Number one, when God doesn't make sense, remember He is God and I am not. And number one, God's ways often will not make sense to me. God's ways often will not make sense to me. From the killing of a village of babies to why Peter was saved and James was killed. From why a vibrant 40-year-old man with children dies to cancer, yet another person in that family who basically watched TV all day still lived. Why? God's ways often will not make sense to me. He's God and I am not. Number two, God doesn't always offer explanations. God doesn't always offer explanations. It's okay to say, why God? But you need to be able to relax if he doesn't tell you why. He won't always give you an explanation. The family that I referred to was never felt that they had an adequate explanation as to why their loved one was taken, yet some other family member continued. Throughout the Scripture, we have places where God doesn't make sense. In your life, you have times where it just doesn't make sense. In the book of Isaiah... It says this about our God. My thoughts are not your thoughts, or excuse me, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. He is God and I am not. And his ways and his thoughts are so vast that I could never comprehend them. Now, God has told me that he desires that none perish and all come to knowledge of the truth, so sometimes I wonder if the circumstances of life are trying to draw people to himself. But honestly, I don't know. But I do know that he is good and does only good. And his thoughts are nothing like my thoughts. And his ways are far beyond anything that I could imagine For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than my ways and your ways, and his thoughts higher than your thoughts. Number three this morning, as I just try to help us to grasp this concept, God does not criticize or condemn me when I question him and ask why. I want you to have the freedom to not be afraid of taking those Times in those circumstances where God does not make sense and asking and pouring out your heart and being confused. He will not criticize you for that. He will not condemn you for it when you question. You are not less of a Christian or less of a believer. You have no less faith because God's ways are higher and there are going to be times when he doesn't make sense possibly more times than we care to admit when God doesn't make sense remember God's ways often will not make sense to me God doesn't always offer explanation God does not criticize or condemn me when I question him and ask why number four well I may switch mics it continues Sorry folks at home, that probably sounds worse on your TV than it does up here. But <laughs> So I'm dealing with flies, I'm dealing with microphones. This is a good morning. I wonder if the enemy doesn't quite like what well, God wants you to hear today. Or maybe we just have a bad connector. That's all that it is. Number four, my faith is not to be based on circumstances. People of God, your faith is not to be based on circumstances. Your faith is not to be based on what's happening in your life right now. Circumstances will impact you. They will impact you emotionally. They will possibly impact you physically. They may impact you spiritually, but you have to not let it impact your faith. Look at what 2 Corinthians says. For we walk by, what? Not by Sight, sight, circumstances. Our faith, our ability to hold on to God is by faith, not circumstances. Hebrews tells us what faith is. Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You haven't seen yet what you've been praying for. You haven't seen yet what you were hoping for. Maybe you've seen what you were hoping for taken away. But faith is still the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We talked in number four, my faith is not based on circumstances. Number five, my faith is always to be based on the character of God, his goodness, his love and his wisdom and all of his other character attributes. That's what our faith needs to be based on. Family that I spoke about that lost a child way too young in their 40s. Continued to walk with the Lord, not understanding because their faith was based on the character of God, His goodness, His love, and His wisdom. Going back to Psalm 119 you are good and do only good. Number six, the one I need you to write the whole thing in because I messed up in creating the note sheet. That's why you have to write it in. Number six, I can trust God even when he doesn't make sense. I can trust God even when he doesn't make sense. The early church, they lost James. Peter was rescued. They continued to trust God even when he didn't make sense. They continued to press on. Um, Peter went to John Mark's house, his mother's house. John Mark actually traveled with Paul. John Mark didn't lose his faith because James was killed and Peter was rescued. The church moved on. The church continued to reach out. The church continued to win people for Christ because we can trust God even when he doesn't make sense. Now I want to just say this, sometimes statements like what I'm making right here, faith is always to be based on uh, the character of God. When you are walking through a difficulty, maybe somebody at home today, you're walking through a difficulty, and what I'm saying may seem trite. A lot of times, believers make statements that are almost trite. They're not trite. They're the truth. I believe them. I live my life on them. Well, over a century ago, a preacher, well-known preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon, made a statement, and this statement's been modernized a bit. This is not an exact quote, but it's been attributed to him, but the essence of what he did say is here, because I went back and I found the exact quote, and it was more in an old English, but here's what Spurgeon said, "'God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken.'" And when you cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. What Spurgeon was saying is basically Psalm 119. God is good and only does good. He's too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when we can't trace his hand, when we can't figure out what he's up to, we must trust his heart. I was called to the hospital early one evening many, many years ago. The phone call came and someone who attended our church said, would you go to the emergency room? A family member of theirs had called. And just a few minutes before, their young teenager who was just learning to drive. And you know, if you're a young teen and you're learning to drive, maybe you're not on the street yet, but sometimes dad or mom will let you pull the car out of a garage or drive in the driveway. Well, this this young teen was given permission, and they got in the family's pickup truck, and they were to back the truck up. And so they got in, excited as anybody would be, 13, 14 years old, maybe 15, by themselves, backing the pickup truck up. And they ran over their 18-month-old sibling. And the call came. This family wasn't really tied in with the church. Certainly not our church, but there was a family member that was. They said, Pastor, they just need somebody to go. Would you go to the hospital? I got in my car, and as I'm in my car, I'm just thinking, what am I going to say? So I prayed, and I said, God, just help me. Just help me. And I arrived at the hospital emergency room and explained who I was and why I was there. And the nurse who was attending at that point took me to a private room and opened the door. And in the room was the mom and the dad and the mother was holding the lifeless body of the child who had been run over by the older sibling. The expressions on their face were, they went from being devastated to just a blank expression, why? The hospital staff was allowing mom to hold for the very last time that child before the mortuary was going to come. And here I am in this room. said a few things. Honestly, I don't remember what I said. Even after I left that day, I don't know if I was any help. I mean, what do you say? What do you say in this type of a tragedy, this type of an accident? The young teenager wasn't there. I would have loved to have just tried to offer some comfort to them. I knew that situations like this usually will do one of two things they will either push someone towards God or push someone farther away from God honestly I don't know what happened to that family life went on you God I mean think about it this this teenager did not know that his sibling had... Been out in the yard. I mean, thought somebody else had them. Thought somebody was watching their younger sibling. No one would have expected that in an amount of time that probably didn't amount to more than two minutes, that family's life would have been totally uprooted. And then here I am, called then to offer some word of hope. And so I I did my best and I don't have a happy ending to the story, folks. I just tell it because this is the life that we live, but we have a God who is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when We cannot trace his hand, we can trust his heart. Even now I still trust him. Pastor, would you trust him if that was your child? I hope I would. I've had other things come in and out of my life, difficulties. That situation doesn't didn't make sense to the couple. I say that because it's one of the most difficult parts of pastoral ministry. But I want to close with a little bit of a long quote from a book that I read many years ago by James Dobson, which actually took the title of his book and made it my title, When God Doesn't Make Sense. It's coming up on the screen. Actually, you have it in your note sheet on the back. I do not have tidy answers. I have no airtight explanations. In fact, I find it irritating when amateur theologians throw around simple platitudes such as God must have wanted the little flower named Bristol for his heavenly garden. Nonsense. Loving Father does not tear the heart out of a family for selfish purposes. No, it is better to acknowledge that we have been given too few facts to explain all the heartache in an imperfect, fallen world. That understanding will have to await the coming of the Sovereign Lord who promises to set straight all accounts and to end all injustice. Hear that again. It's better to acknowledge that we have been given too few facts to explain all the heartache in an imperfect fallen world. That understanding will have to await the coming of the Sovereign Lord who promises to set straight all accounts And end all injustices. Psalm 119 verse 6 again. You are good. And do only good. Sometimes that's the final word. What you're walking through right now. Some of you. Some of you who have tuned in online. Maybe somebody sent you. A link to this message after I preached it. Sometimes it comes down to this. You are good. And do. Only good. So Lord. I trust you. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are vaster. You are love. You are light. And you are good. And you can trust him, folks. All of our lives have been turned upside down. Some of you more than others. Some of you have handled the pandemic and the quarantine. And you've been doing kind of fine. Your job is fine. You've stayed healthy. Others of you have not. Some of you at home right now, you're still dealing with the impact and the after effects of this. But you can still trust him. You can still trust him. He is God. And you are not. He is God and I am not. He created everything. He loves you. He loves you so much that he gave his son's life for you. That you may have the forgiveness of sins and spend eternity with him. Don't cast that aside for negative circumstances. And please, I'm not trying to make light. If you went through a tragedy like this last couple I shared about, it would be hard to have faith. To the best of my ability, I'm just trying to say he is faithful. You can trust him. As the team comes to the platform, there's a slide coming up. And uh, it's in your um, notes also. Three resources. Three resources for you. One is a book by a man by the name of Philip Yancey. It's called Disappointment with God. Three answers no one asks. And it deals with when God doesn't make sense. Then there's James Dobson's book. It has been revived. Um, um, New edition, I should say. It's called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And then Jerry L. Sitzer has a book. It's on grief and it's about coming through a time of grief. It's called A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. Now I want to pray. I want to pray for folks at home. I want to pray for you here. I'm not going to ask you to identify yourself. There may be some here this morning that You're walking through some things and it just doesn't make sense. God doesn't make sense. This circumstance doesn't make sense. This circumstance which you've been praying about, which you expected, would have been better by now, is still not better. Hang on. Hold on. He might not make sense. But he loves you. He is with you. He is still working in your life. You can trust him. But if you are one who this morning, this message is maybe speaking directly to you. I really felt the Holy Spirit drop this in my heart a few weeks. Actually, it was only a couple of weeks ago. It was just like a now word. And so I'm going to believe that here or some who are part of our online church family, you're walking through something and you needed to hear That even when God doesn't make sense, he can be trusted. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to ask those of you here to bow your heads, those who are watching online, also to bow your heads. Lord, Lord, you give us freedom to come to you with everything, all of our questions, all of our concerns, all of our doubts, all of our pain. Lord this morning for those that are are hurting. Oh God. God. May they just feel free today to just dump on you. Just pour it all out. Their anger, their confusion, their doubts, their pain. And Lord, you receive them. You embrace them as only you can. You are good and do only good. And Lord, we hang on to that. We don't know why that circumstance happened. We don't know why that situation happened that they're walking through. But Lord, you still are good and you still only do good. You are love. You are light. So we're just gonna trust you and cry out to you. Lord, I just pray that every soul that is hurting today would somehow feel, even if it's just for a moment, feel your presence. As we move into a short time of worship and as we once again bring our burdens before you, come, Holy Spirit, and minister to us in Jesus name Amen Church family would you just follow the team as they lead us in worship
2: When peace like a river attended my way when song Oh See it your work even when i don't feel it your work you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working even when i don't see it your work even yeah. when i don't feel it your work
1: and even when you he doesn't stop, make sense he's working.
2: working you never stop you never stop keep singing working. it
1: Even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it, when He makes sense, when He doesn't make sense, He's working.
2: When He makes sense, when
1: He doesn't make sense, He's he's looking out for you. Remind yourself, He's doing it. He's working.
2: Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. You never stop. You never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it's you working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop, stop. working. Even when I don't see it, show up again. Even when I don't feel it, show working, It never stops, it never stops working. It never stops, you what know it never stop working. Even when I don't see it, show up Even when I don't feel it, so working, It never stops, it never stops working. It never stops, it never stops working. Way making miracle work. darkness my God that is who you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper light in the darkness my
1: God leave those words up on the screen even the God who doesn't make sense is still a waymaker. he's still a miracle worker He's still a promise keeper. He's still light in the darkness. That's our God. That's our God. Once again, Waymaker. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God,
2: that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You know, we, when we sing that soft or if we sing it loud, the truth remains. Whether we see him as a waymaker softly in our lives or strongly in our lives, the truth remains. The truth remains. Way, make, miracle work, promise keep, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are.
1: I would like for any of our prayer team members that are here this morning, if you are available, would you please come? Pastor Tim... Kathy, if you guys are available, please bring your masks. I just want to have as many of our prayer team members available right now, just scattered all across the front, because I believe there are some of you that would like somebody to pray with you today. Somebody to pray with you about that situation that's just bothering you, bugging you. So you're going to have a moment to come and begin to receive prayer this morning for any need that you may have. Those of you that are at home, Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. The service is coming to a close here. Thank you. For those of you who will be leaving and not uh, coming and receiving prayer, and you can just stay at your seat if you just want to spend some time with God, but just want to remind you that the offering baskets are in the back, and you can give online as many of you do. Um, I brought check today. I'm going to be dropping my check back there. However you, however you choose to give, I just want to thank you and by the way, I haven't had an opportunity yet to thank you for the pastor's appreciation gift and gifts. I know that there are some um, plates out in the lobby where many of you have dropped a card or something. Thank you for that. But if you have a prayer need this morning here in the building, please don't leave. Allow some folks to just maybe cry with you lay hands on you, pray for you. If you just want to spend some time with God, but you don't want to stay at your seat, move to one of the side sections. If you go to the side section and not to somebody who's praying, they'll just leave you alone. That's just time for you and God. Sometimes that's all any of us really need. For those of you, once again, who are viewing online, Pastor Evan's going to give you some information about how to communicate with us, contact with us if you need prayer. God bless you, online audience. For the rest of you that are here, let's just sing again.
0: You've been listening to a message from Columbus First Assembly. We hope that you've been encouraged in your spiritual journey. If you're not part of a local church and would like to attend one of our regular services, our church is located at the corner of 10th and Iowa Street in Columbus, Indiana. Our Sunday morning worship services start at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday evening studies begin at 7 p.m. And while you're online, check out our website at columbusfirstassembly.org for details and information about our church. You will also find other messages and series that you can listen to or download. Thanks for spending some time with us and for taking advantage of this resource from Columbus First Assembly, where we strive to learn and live the word and ways of God.